door. You have been walking past it for 700 years. What does it say? Police telephone, free for use of public. There's instruction at the bottom. What does it say? Pull to open. Because you do pull to open a police box. Yes, and what do you do? Picking up junk, examining it, breaking bits off, putting them into others. What don't they know? <laughs> this time there's three of us. And they get to argue over silly things. What could possibly go wrong? Here comes the drums! Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch every episode of Doctor Who in completely random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and normally we're just a couple of guys, a couple of podcasters, a couple of journalists, a couple of Doctor Who fans. But now, what don't they know? This time there's three of us. We are joined by our very special guest, Mr. Dave Ketchin, all the way from the Doctor Who show. Dave, welcome to Pull to Open. Cloud Grows Wild. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It's great to be here. Fabulous. Yeah. It's so exciting that you've joined us for this one. I'm so pleased that it's it's a good one. Uh, I don't know if you've been listening to the show recently. We've been through a spate of uh, not-so-good episodes, although Peter and I disagreed on the most recent one. But, um, but Pete, do you want to catch up the fine folks at home about where we have been so far and uh, where what had recently hit us when we picked up Dave on our journey? Sure. Previously on Polta Open, three episodes ago, we were at the Peter Capaldi episode, <laughs> ambitious episode called Kill the Moon. Um, it wasn't necessarily the beginning of our hmm, run, but it is in the middle of it. <laughs> Over right in the middle. Anyway, once the moon was exterminated, we uh, rewound all the way back to the Hartnell era, the late Hartnell era, with the season four opener, The Smugglers, a completely lost episode, which actually has recently been announced it's going to be animated probably later this year. Uh, but we we got in under the wire with some yep. telescopes and some audio. That's right. We got to be smugglers, hipsters. And, and, exactly. and I thought you guys were a little bit harsh on the smugglers. I've got to admit, I, I don't think it's great, but I think it's a little bit better than you gave it credit for. It's it's a. I was the one. You don't have to say. <laughs> yeah. it. Chris was hey. actually okay with it. I was a little like, oh, oh my god. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. But that was my reaction. Yeah. And Pete was more. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little closer to the. Uh, I think I, I think I'm younger than you, Chris. Am I? I forget. I don't know. Yes, you are. I'm just, I'm just more used to <laughs> things moving as I'm watching them. You know, me and the younger generation. Whoa, um, whoa, there. Yeah, you know <laughs> you, the talkies and the. You, need, you, you kids and your cinematography. I don't know. You don't know what it's like in the old day of picture books. Anyway, anyway <laughs> from the smugglers, we fast forwarded a little bit to the fourth Doctor era, and we landed back on Gallifrey uh, for his second uh, excursion to Gallifrey, where he actually becomes the president of Gallifrey in the invasion of time. Mm. Yes, and that was one that Pete liked better than I did. I like it. It's a Russian doll of alien invasions on the most powerful planet in the cosmos. I mean, just right. that alone. Yeah, Dude. with hospital corridors thrown in for good measure. What, what's not to love? Yeah, yeah I've, I've yet to there, hear. I've yet course. to hear. Sorry, I've yet to hear your invasion of time episode. But uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I, I think that it has its ah. flaws, yeah. but it also has some really fun stuff. 
Yeah. It has, it has its flaws, and many of those flaws are covered with tiny plastic chairs. <laughs> I like this with Dave having sides so that we, we bust the tie when we have a tie, Chris. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Of time, we've, we've overpowered you, and on the smugglers, I've been, yes. I've been in the corner. You, you have been arrested, and uh, you, you're about to uh, call us gentlemen and try and get out of your pickle that way. But anyway, from the invasion of time... All of that was leading up to Series 6, Episode 4, The Doctor's Wife. Woohoo! Yeah. Yes, I'm so glad that for our guest uh, we, we, we found a good episode, but also an episode with, with such obvious uh, connection to yeah. to the previous one in our random journey. It doesn't get more more connected than uh running around TARDIS corridors and running around TARDIS corridors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that, so so there could not be more stark difference between those corridors, I must say. Indeed. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, Dave, had you had you watched The Doctor's Wife much before watching it for for this uh for this podcast? So I'll be honest, watching it yesterday for the podcast is the first time I've watched it since broadcast. Oh wow. wow! Look at you! Wow, you've just got too much other Doctor Who to watch. I think based on on the show. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, now before we go any further, should I be seeing waveforms under my name and in this little boxy thing? You probably should be seeing waveforms. Of course, he's referring to the Zencaster. I'm seeing them, Dave. So if you're not seeing them, don't mm, you worry. That's okay. We're getting all your audio. It's all happening. That's okay. Uh, I feel terrible doing an hour and not having asked the question and. It wasn't working. No, so. no, no. Yes. I appreciate it. That's okay. And I, honestly, I, I appreciate the re, the reality. I might not even edit this out. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll fix it in post. It's fine. We're gonna we're gonna get to all the commentary in the Doctor's Wife. It's gonna be great. I'm I'm really. It's really cool to hear that you haven't seen it since broadcast because that's like twelve years of difference. Yeah. So mm. there's a lot of Doctor Who since. So that's uh, gonna be an interesting perspective to bring on it. Uh, but I'd love to hear just a little bit more about you and the doctor who show honestly just for a, a few minutes here so the uh i gotta say i've i've been an admirer of you and your show and rob and both of you do such a great job on that show uh for a while and i really want to congratulate you guys recently on uh your episode on the the jody whitaker the ultimate jody whitaker cold take yeah. where you guys went over the whole era and sort of picked out some some winners and losers and controversial ones and just things that needed revisiting because it occurred to me as you were doing that episode like our whole thing here on pull to open is cold takes right <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just the gist of it we don't even like even when doctor who is live on the air we don't really do much in the way of hot takes we do a little bit right like when when flux was on the air we we did a little bit of back and forth certainly when the power of the doctor was broadcast we did it um but i kind of wanted to ask you like in terms of hot takes cold takes do you see one being more valuable than the other? I feel like everything becomes kind of a cold take after a while. And that, and ultimately ends up being like what fans and everyone thinks of certain episodes, but those hot takes, are they, are they valuable at all? I mean, they, they sort of set a stake in the ground, I guess, on what people think of it. How do you think about that? Yeah. Well, thanks for the feedback. It's really nice to hear. And we, we have had really good feedback on that Jody Whittaker cold take episode. It's been one of our, best downloaded and best commented on episodes. So it's, it, it seems to have resonated with a lot of people. And, and I think it, the, the hot takes are interesting because they are a a measure of a piece of time. They're a measure of that instant reaction of, mm. I've literally just watched this episode, I've turned the mic on, 
do I feel happy? Do I feel angry? Do I feel sad? Do I feel indifferent? Do I feel bored? And and you capture that instant sort of reaction straight away. But I think right. the, the more important thing is that I certainly started my fandom as a kid going along to the local Doctor Who club with my dad. You know, most dads want to take their kids to the footy or the cricket, and I was one of those <laughs> kids that like, okay, well, if we're going to do father-son stuff, it's going to be Doctor Who related. So, you know, he'll take us me along to the club and then I sort of got involved in my own right and ended up on the committee when I was a teenager and life went from there. But that sort of Doctor Who fandom doesn't exist quite as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea of a local club where you go along once a month or whatever the case may be and you, you chat to other fans mm-hmm. kind of died out. Um, there are groups that still meet in, in different formats, but not nearly as much as back when I was a kid sometime late last yeah, century. totally. And um, it's it's so it's so great to hear you say it. Just to, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but just to be like that idea. Certainly, back in the eighties and nineties, when people were sort of meeting in these fandom groups, that's that's really how. It's not quite how I started, but once I got really enthusiastic about my fandom, I joined the local club. Uh, and this is in Edmonton, Canada, and I feel like Australia and Western Canada are a little similar in the sense you've probably heard this before mm. in that. Um, we, we both got a whole lot of Doctor Who thrown at us through, I think, in Australia <laughs> through ABC and in Western Canada through PBS and, and sort of rebroadcast on uh, Canadian cable that way. And th- it's, it's created these little sort of colonies of Doctor Who fans yes, that, very, very that much so. have now have 30 years later, you know, continued with their fandom and, and they're just, you know, we're finding each other now through the internet and podcasts like ours. It's, it's and, and are so much more informed than the English fans, may I just say. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> because we didn't, of course, uh, complained about this many times, would have loved, loved to have been uh, brought up in one of those colonies where you got Doctor Who all of the time, every, every, every day. It sounds like unimaginable utopia or would have done to me as a child anyway. Yeah, so. absolutely. It, it, it was great as a Doctor Who fan to grow up in Australia because it, it was near constant repeats four or five days a week every week so it was it was pretty cool oh, in that yeah. sense but but you know that that sort of personal fandom has really moved away and so mm-hmm. the way that we engage now as fans is I think through some of those hot takes so part of the enjoyment of a new episode sure. is that it, it it drops you watch it and then you get online and you have a chat about it, whether it's over a podcast or listening to a podcast or other other forums, whatever the case may be. That that's really become the substitute for that personal fandom involvement, and mm. and, and and I you know really enjoy that. So Rob and I get together. We say, "This is what we thought. Did we enjoy it? Did we not enjoy it? What did we take out of it? What was the good? What was the bad?" And then our listeners come back and they say whether they agree with us. I go and listen to a bunch of other podcasts and hear whether we were in tune with them or not in tune with them. And that's, that's a really exciting sort of positive part of being a fan, but it's only a very small measure of what the episode was like. And we really found with the Jodie Whittaker era, because I think we all went into it with a lot of preconceptions, particularly coming off the back of the Moffat era, where we'd been trained yeah. to look for a whole lot of stuff in episodes. And then at the end, Chris Chibnall gave that infamous DWM interview where he said, oh, no, there was none of that. None of it was planned. None of it was foreshadowed. I just made it up as I went along. And so you go, well, okay, maybe we were judging these episodes on a standard in which it wasn't meant to be judged. And going back when you just go, hey, he was just writing this stuff without any sort of arc or preconceptions or anything like that. So let's assess it as, as that is. 
And suddenly, instead of watching it going, what does this mean? You're just going, oh, that was cool. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole different approach to the era. Yeah, I'm... Um... I, I, it's funny, we haven't gone back to too much of Whitaker um, in this podcast, but we've done a few, and I, th- yeah. I would say all, in almost every instance, except <clears throat> Orphan 55, um, yeah. in almost yep. every other instance, it's <laughs> it's kind of improved. And honestly, for me, yeah. I know, you know, Chris and I, I mean, we were pretty similar reviewed for Orphan 55, but uh, even, for, even for me, Orphan 55 improved a little bit because I knew going in what it was going to be, you know, going to be like. So... Yeah, Rosa yeah, and the Witchfinders, the other two mm-hmm. we've been to, and they, they improved massively on, on a second viewing. Well, but and, that, and Revolution of the yeah. Daleks, too. Yes, yeah. yes. But but that it's uh, Doctor Who does seem uniquely susceptible to this sort of, you know, uh, hot take, cold take thing, right? A second yeah. viewing almost always changes your, your perspective on the story, at least I've found. Uh, and, and for the show, I think both of us have found that, like, the, it invariably improves like i i can count on one hand the number of times we've had our view uh of a of a story brought down by rewatching it right there's mm, always something right. else you can you can see so it's uniquely susceptible to that and you you sort of this is a thing with whitaker that we always knew was coming right uh that, that there would always someday be a be a great reassessment of her stuff as there has been with every previous doctor yeah and i think particularly fans of our sort of generation are kind of mm. genetically preconditioned to be worried the show's about to be cancelled at the end of every episode. And <laughs> and so we... we, we Very watch, true. Particularly like, you know, I grew up, the, the, the era that I can most remember watching on first broadcast is the McCoy era. I, I have some very dim mm. memories of, of, of late Davo and, and Colin, but, but I can remember properly as a primary school kid watching the McCoy era go out. And, you know, it did feel like, this could be cancelled at any point, and it was cancelled twice in the eighties. <laughs> and and I think that as fans, we do watch something, particularly something like the Jody era, where it's been around for a while now, and we know that television stations do like change. And there is this feeling of if this isn't perfect, it's going to be cancelled, and we're going to lose the show again. And you you watch it with that really hypercritical, hypersensitive view. Right. I, I, whereas now we know that you know the show not only was not cancelled, but it's going on to a whole new thing with RTD two, and so you can relax and just go, "This is just another episode. This is this is like the invasion of time." We know that there's another forty years after this, so we can relax. <laughs> you know, it'll be interesting to see if that attitude changes now that it's a basically a streaming show on Disney Plus, and mm. if we're on the edge of our seat as much. Because we won't have the, the same conversations we have about rate. I mean, they'll still have it on broadcast in the UK, of course, but that won't be really how the show overall success is measured. Um, bef- I, we could go on and on about this, honestly. But Dave, before we go, I just got one more question for you. What Part of the consequences of the move to Disney Plus was that it's actually no longer going to be on ABC, as I understand it. So yeah. like, I, I just wondering, as an Australian, how do you feel about that, that, that it's just now no longer... The same home it's always been in, and now you're going to – I assume you probably already subscribed to Disney+, Plus, but you're going to have to subscribe to a streaming service to see this thing. Yeah, it's something I've got very mixed thoughts about. There's certainly a very sentimental part of me that will be sad that after 60 years of the ABC broadcasting Doctor Who, they're no longer broadcasting Doctor Who. And the ABC has had good periods with the show where they've really looked after it and others where they sort of threw it in a dark corner and were a bit embarrassed about it in, in the way a number of networks sort of were in various different times. But it's usually been pretty good and it's always shown the show. Mm. Do I do I personally care that much 
people know because, as, as you say, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan, I'm a Marvel fan, um, I've been watching Doogie Howser. So, you know, I, there's plenty on <laughs> Disney Plus for me to watch. So I do have an annual subscription to Disney Plus. I'm not out of pocket. Uh, are there going to be kids out there who might have flicked onto the ABC and seen the new Doctor Who and now won't? I think that is a, a risk and that would be a shame. But if this is the way that television is going, and particularly expensive television, if this is the price you have to pay to, to finance a show, well, I'm certainly willing to pay that price. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense that you'd have uh, a mixed mixed look outlook there. Um, awesome. Mm-hmm. Guys, we could go on and on and on and talk more about the the, the nature and of fandom and Doctor Who, but the podcast has demands. And sorry, listeners, I didn't say this a little earlier. Um, if you want to fast forward at this point anyway to our commentary <laughs> on the doctor's wife, there will be a prominent note in the show notes for those that didn't realize that already. And you can actually just wa- check the time code, go fast forward to that point where we begin TLDW uh, on the doctor's wife, and you can just go zip right over there. So uh, otherwise, we're going to, for everyone else, enter the pull to open feedback loop. Listeners, hey, if you enjoy Pull to Open, our commentaries on Doctor Who episodes, of course, our TikTok channel with oh so many videos about the show, uh, our TLDWs where we summarize episodes while trying not to pee our pants, we'd like to ask you right now to please leave a review or rating in whatever podcast app you may be listening in. So reviews really do help the show, and we'd love to sometimes read your review out on the air. Uh, Even better... Please share the podcast with a friend. You must know a Doctor Who fan, friend, someone who's at least dabbled in the show. Please share the podcast with them if you enjoy it. And if you're one of our really enthusiastic fans, we'd love it if you would drop a review with an emoji title, an episode title in emoji form in it. That's like our favorite thing to get and talk about on the show in a little segment we'd like to call something, but we can't because I'd probably... (laughs) A bunch of emojis. It's probably head exploding emojis all together. How with about just blue box emojis and two hearts emojis, yeah. etc. We could just call it the Whomoji game. How about oh, that? Oh, boom. The Whomoji. Yeah. What, what, you've been keeping Who-moji. that to yourself for like months or something? Like, what's going on? You just came up with that? I've, I've, I've been waiting to send you my invoice, Pete. Uh, it's now in the mail. <laughs> so. it's, it's, it's great. I'm just watching this genius just happen live in front of me. <laughs> That's right. This well, is what happens when you two cups of coffee keep, in. Earned your keep for the week there, Chris. You got you got an extra no prize. Okay. All right. We have more emoji titles in this challenge, this brain teaser challenge. Normally, it's me giving Chris uh, a run for his money on these. But now, since we have a guest, you're both technically contestants. So whoever guesses yes. first will win this emoji challenge. Guys, are yes. you ready? Fingers on stomachs. <laughs> okay i didn't hear i i think i think i've got a yes in there so yes i'm gonna i'm just gonna go for it guys okay here we go here's the, the title is three emojis first emoji a bell second emoji a spoon third emoji it's like a signal like five bars that are growing along the thing so it's like a signal thing there it is. Go. Shout out your title. Is it Bells of St. John? 
Is that too obvious? <laughs> it's Bells of St. John's! Wow. Is nicely done. <laughs> Chris, you've been embarrassed by our guest. Taking yeah, away I, that invoice. Fabulous. I, I'm so glad that it, you got it so quickly that I didn't even have to embarrass myself by I, floundering around. I'm not sure what the spoon is about. I get the bell and I get the Wi-Fi signal. I the don't know the spoon. But... The spoon heads. Oh, Remember the spoon heads? Okay. Oh, the spoon yeah. heads. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they, they really uh, struck a chord, obviously. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I... I Vaguely remember those things. Yes. Okay. Well, congratulations, Dave. On winning uh, this week's yeah. emoji challenge. Was that without? Did I get that right, Chris? I, for, I actually almost forgot the name already. <laughs> Humoji. Yeah, the, the Humoji game. Yeah. The uh, yeah. yes, the Humoji embarrassment. Um, next week is for a me. reigning yes. champion. No. Um, yeah. No, please but, do. So I don't have to. <laughs> we'll call, call you in for the five-minute thing. Yeah, it'll be great. Um, yeah. All right, guys. That's how it goes. You too can have your emoji title read out on the show and brain teased with Chris or whatever guests we have. Just go ahead, leave them in your in the podcast app that you're listening to us in. Usually, it's the Apple Podcast app, and that'll happen. Otherwise, you can uh, shout them to us on Twitter. We're at Pull to Open sixty three on Twitter, or go ahead and just leave it in a comment on wherever you find us on the socials um speaking of various places to find us hey guys if you're listening on spotify there are even more ways to interact with the show now not only can you rate the show on your mobile app so you can give the show a star rating uh but every week chris and i give a our own pull to open rating on the story we talk about uh whether it's a viscount banger a dalek uh ogron a professor hater uh the explanations for those if you're not familiar will come at the end of the show but you too can give your rating for the particular Doctor Who story we're talking about. So just go to that story in that that particular uh, poll to open episode in your app, and you can tell us what you thought of it through the poll function, and um, we will read it out on the show. And right now, uh, we can read some results from one of our most recent episodes. Um, which was, uh, what was the one two episodes ago? No. Drum, drum roll, please. <laughs> the smugglers. Yeah. You, right, <laughs> so you, forgettable you, you, that we even forget that we went there. Up. I um, should have had it ready. Um, but the smugglers <laughs> had some people Bam, voting ready. on it. Yep. And, well, as you know, we I, I gave it a uh, an Ogrod, uh, which is not our greatest yes. uh, rating. You gave it a hater, am I right? Yes, after our hate Professor Hater upgrade, when we made it clear that a bad episode where you learn something is better than a bad episode. Yeah. So, I think, and Dave, you, you thought we were hard on it. Well, your uh, perspective has prevailed among the fans. The number one Whoa. rating on the uh, the Smugglers was a Dalek, which is what wow. we have for a good wow. episode of Doctor Who. So, boom. Fabulous, dude. Did we get any Viscount bangers? We did not. No one thought it was a Viscount <laughs> banger. Um, but it's, right. it's overwhelmingly a Dalek. I'm uh, all right. I, I, I'm. I actually. I, I said in the podcast I probably wouldn't revisit this when it's animated. Uh, I think the fans are maybe persuading me. Yes. Once the animated episode comes out, maybe I'll change my perspective on this. It's a Dalek with an eye patch and a parrot on one of its balls. 
<laughs> One of its balls. Hey, hey. Hey, hey now. I'm just going to leave that where it sits and not touch it. All right. All right. Yeah, don't so. never touch a Dalek's balls. Okay. Oh, Guys. we went there. Um, you, there are other places you can, of course, find Pull to Open, and one of them is YouTube. And we are at youtube.com slash pull to open. It's a great place to also leave an emoji title or a comment. Plus, you get to see all these fun Easter eggs we have in the background. Um, and even if you subscribe to us on a podcast app, uh, we, it really does help the show. If you'd also just subscribe on YouTube, you can even hit a little notification uh, icon. That's the bell, and you will be always informed whenever we have new content. Uh, I already mentioned TikTok. We're at Pull to Open on TikTok. It's our most active social network. We try to post videos almost every day. So please follow us there if you don't already. And we're also on the Instagrams and Facebook now at Pull to Open 60. Whoa. We just don't know when to stop. We're downloading social networks from the future. Oh, my. All right, guys. That's. I think it's time. <laughs> it's, it's time. It's time. You'll notice I've been. I've been quiet through all of this as I'm trying to prepare for this next segment. The next segment, of course, we oh like boy. to call TLDW. Too long, didn't watch. Too long, Doctor Who. And... To or too long, Doctor's wife. Oh, indeed. This week, you're on fire, man! <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, well, it's. It, I wouldn't say that until <laughs> until the next minute has happened. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll, see. Right. we'll see. Well, TLDW, one of us will summarize the entire plot of the Doctor Who story we are about to talk about in record time. And we allot 60 seconds for every new Who episode, which this, of course, is being from uh, Series 6, one of Matt Smith's seasons. And the person to do that summarizing is, of course, Christopher Taylor. Are you ready, yes, sir? sir. Uh, never. Gotta, no, I will never be ready to summarize the doctor's wife in one minute. <laughs> yes, I would like my wife to step in on this. Uh, no, no I, I, I can do this. Not on, not on TLDW. <laughs> it's all, all you, right, sir. All right. All right. You ready? Okay, I'm in it. I'm in it okay. to win it. <clears throat> Here comes right. the official pull to open summary of the doctor's wife in three, two, one, go. So in a junkyard and an asteroid and in another universe, uh, there's a, a group of four people uh, who are all bits and pieces, uncle, auntie, uh, nephew, who's nude, and a woman named Idris who's been taken over by the, the spirit of, of an approaching TARDIS. And she basically has the soul of the TARDIS. It's the Doctor's TARDIS because he, Amy and Rory, have been alerted to a Time Lord distress signal that brings them to the asteroid. The asteroid is actually run by a creature named House that is basically taking bits of Time Lords and bits of TARDISes and, and and it's all big, a big old junkyard of Time Lords of Tardises and bodies. And uh, it takes over the TARDIS and, and takes it, Amy and Rory away. And they get all stuck in uh, all sorts of uh, corridors and nightmares and stuff. And and uh, But the TARDIS is able to communicate with them and gets them to go to the uh, backup, one of the backup control rooms, the previous control room. And uh, and they, they go there. And they, meanwhile, the Doctor and the TARDIS argue a lot. And they, they rebuild a TARDIS and, uh, from the junkyard. And they follow uh, House and in his TARDIS. Oh, and they defeat them by simply by arriving. So, <laughs> yeah, bad, and that's it. Nidris dies. Oh, Got you see what I mean? Text. Yeah, it's oh, so. Good. Yeah, to get it, maybe I always shouldn't have. Of, if if I'd not mentioned, 
<laughs> yeah, this explanation is definitely big on the inside. I, if I just not pause to mention that nephew was nude, maybe, maybe I could have, could have squeezed that one. I don't know. I don't know. Was there anything major I missed out? No, nothing. I don't think necessarily anything major that you missed. I would have definitely shaved off a little bit of the stage setting, which went on about 25 seconds or so <laughs> before you actually started talking. About the oh, yeah. yeah that's about it. so hard. It's always hard. That's, hard. That's, hard ah, that's the story. Okay. What a story, though. <laughs> what a story and what a place to go to after the invasion of time. After you know, uh, Pete saying he wanted a TARDIS heavy episode. It does not get right. more TARDIS heavy, certainly uh, conceptually uh, speaking than the doctor's wife. Um, right. and I mean, the first thing to say about this to my mind is that I, you know, hats off to Neil Gaiman for so many things. Uh, mm. but first of all, I think foremost of all, basically changing all of doctor who canon. Like the entire history of the show with a few sentences that just give you a different perspective on everything. Right. Uh, I always took you where you needed to go. Yeah. And uh, I stole a time Lord and I ran away because I wanted to see the universe. Well, I think you're dead on in that. I wouldn't necessarily say changing because that sort of implies a little bit, almost like what Chris Chibnall was trying to do with the timeless Mm. travel. That's changing canon, whereas this right. is kind of, I would argue, enhancing it. You know, mm. it's, it's maybe altering a couple of things slightly, but they all make sense. It all is like they all hit right. All those it, lines uh, that you're talking about. I, I, I have to, yeah. I have to jump in. If, if if this is where we're going to jump in, okay, that that's great. Um, I I'm more of the view that it's changing because I think that it does change the way you interpret some of those particularly early years of the show. Um, part of the mm-hmm. shtick and part of the concept of the show, really for the first 10 years, certainly for the Hartnell and Trouton years, is this idea the Doctor cannot control the TARDIS and therefore his adventures right. are totally and utterly random. He's just a wanderer in a box. And this is now saying that maybe those adventures weren't random and there was some sort of plan to it, albeit it was the TARDIS's plan. So I think that if you want to dive down into that concept, it could be seen as a very fundamental shift in the nature of the show. Yeah, it really does because, and and they do it, you know, emphasize it at the end with the handle going down on its own, right? That's that's one one thing I should put a capstone on my unsuccessful TLDW Mm -hmm. by saying it ends with the TARDIS not taking to them the, to the eye of Orion, basically. It's where the Doctor thinks they're going, which is a yeah. nice five Doctor show. And it, it, it does give credence to the fan theory about Season 5, the base under siege season, which is that the TARDIS really, really doesn't like Victoria and therefore keeps landing in places about to be attacked by monsters with no escape, <laughs> hoping that she's going to get killed. So. Yeah, it was pretty hard on Victoria. Yeah, I mean, it's so one... one one, so one sort of interesting thing that, that results uh, as a as a result of this shift shift in perspective, you know, this is was the doctor's basically the doctor's only chance to talk to the TARDIS and ask questions. And for me, I, I would just be kicking myself for the rest of time and space, uh, kind of thinking of all the questions I should have asked her. Right, like you know, just little things like, did you mm-hmm. just not like some of my companions? Uh, 
why did you do that thing with Jack Harkness when when he jumped on? Like, was was he really that bad that you had to run away to the end of time? And did did uh, it hurt when I jettisoned the zero room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, does it hurt when I jettisoned rooms? By the way, the swimming pool, another great reason to come oh, here from Invasion Time. The swimming pool is a casualty, is just in this episode. Um, yeah. But well, yeah, listen, like so I, many questions I, like that. I think you're, I, you're right. It does sort of alter the perspective of that, and it's not random. But I, I, I kind of see it like, again, I, I think it. you're not wrong. It just, because it hits right, it doesn't like shock you and like, oh my God, hmm. like it's more like, it's giving an in-show reason for the device of like the doctor's always landing in trouble. Well, why would that be right? And uh, I, as an analogy, I would toss out quantum leap, which does it a little more clumsily in that they sort of acknowledge that there's a God in a sense in, in quantum leap and someone must be directing Sam. Cause otherwise why else would he be landing in people and needing to put things right? That once went wrong, there's no other real reason for it. Here, I think you can do this as sort of an in-show reason for that, that either if we didn't suspect already, um, it it sort of just, it serves up the, the structure of the show in a slightly different mm. way that makes you like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, uh, sorry, Dave, you go you go first, but uh, and then I'll make another. Well, point. I was just just going to say, I think the other reason why it doesn't feel quite as earth shattering as it potentially could is because of the nature of the whole episode, and maybe in a moment we can sort of pull back to the episode. But the episode mm-hmm. is a very unusual piece of Who, where we we literally go to another universe or outside the universe to kind of play around conceptually yeah. with things, and then we come back, and so you can almost kind of look at it as this this side journey where we're allowed to play around a little bit because it's kind of mm. outside of continuity in some ways. Right. Mm. If you do want to eject this from your canon, you you kind of can, right? If, yeah. if for some reason you didn't like this episode, you can you can say, oh, it's just at the junkyard at the end of the universe. Uh, it's, you know, different rules applied there and, you know, and it's all done. We can kind of forget about it. Uh, but I was, what I was going to say, I, f- I feel like the randomizer is always taking us where we need to go. And uh, Dave, since you're, you're also a Star Wars fan and a uh, Disney Plus subscriber, you, you may also be working your way through The Mandalorian right now yes. and finding the, the way that that show kind of seems to almost have been jettisoned itself for a, a desperate explanation to sort of tie bits of canon together. Uh, and if you've had that experience as well, but it does seem to be increasingly focused on doing that, right? Uh, but that's that is so torturous. You know, you, you're going to get into trouble doing that, right? In terms of just constantly trying to far. change your stories and make explanations. Yeah, yeah. When, and this when, is when, such a deft touch. When you when you've got continuities as massive as Star Wars is and as massive as Doctor Who is, trying to make it all work is just an impossible feat. Um, so it, it, it's good that Gaiman. I don't feel like he's trying to make it work in the way that, as you say, like that the Mandalorian. You can feel. Mm. The, the writers going, we're going to make the um, the recent batch of movies good again, and therefore we're going to yeah. fix, fix all the problems that fans don't like about them via our TV shows, which does sound like, mm-hmm. well, yeah. it, it is sometimes as, as tedious as that sentence was, whereas this one isn't that. It's just Gaiman going, I'm going to throw a conceptual idea out there. Take it, leave it, it doesn't matter, but, hey, let's just play mm. around with this as a thought experiment. 
Mm. And, I think and I love that it started with, it did start with Neil Gaiman, you know, when he's talked about this, he's explained that it started with just that conversation. Uh, just that, the what if, what yeah. if the Doctor and the TARDIS could talk? And immediately, of course, you'd have, within minutes of that conversation starting, the Doctor would have to say, you're not very reliable. You know, I have, yeah. a, I have a bone to pick with you about some of our navigation. Um, you know, so it just it ineluctably leads to the story, right? So it's just a wonderful use of the imagination. Yeah, there was just so much to mine here, I feel like. Like, there, there's been certainly TARDIS-centric episodes before, but uh, when you have someone like Neil Gaiman working for Stephen Moffat, both of these super fans, and just sort of really getting the show, which I think is what what really separates this and, and sort of knowing when to stop in some ways. And there's a there's there's at least one moment where they they didn't know when to stop and they went a little there, it was a little too much. I'll get to it later. But um this episode, like really beyond just the TARDIS stuff, mines so much in Doctor Who mythology. There's just so many callbacks and they all kind of uh work and make sense. Um right, the cube. some of them. The cubes was like the first thing. So it's like almost in, I think it's almost the very first scene where the, he, he gets the little TARDIS mail in the cube. And I got to be confess, I'm actually embarrassed to say this until I listened to the commentary in preparation for this podcast, I did not put it together that the cubes in this episode are the same thing as the cube that the, the second doctor puts together at the end of the war games. And now I'm just much more appreciative of that whole thing. It's like, oh, yes, like this is a thing we've seen before. Now we've seen it again. I, I wish we'd seen it more either in classic series or even after this episode. I think they're just so cool. I like how Time Lord technology just occasionally gets, you know, physical and iconic. Um, and this is just a great example of that. And you get the little telepathic stuff. It's used to great effect here as a motivator for the doctor. Um all the voices and little the little Corsair snake, the the Roboros snake, um, all that is awesome. Uh, and but there's just that's just one of many things, right? Like the TARDIS going sort of out mm -hmm. of time and space. That's happened before. We've seen that. The Doctor says, "I've rebuilt the TARDIS before," and you could probably pick your episode. The one that I thought of immediately was Frontios. Obviously, we've been Frontios, yep. cool. Mm -hmm big first scene in the invasion of time mentioned in the 11th hour there's a million callbacks to the 11th hour here um where he talks about i love the line where he's like i'm a madman with a box without a box you know like he's just playing off not just the mythology of doctor who and the tardis but matt smith's doctor in in such a clever way now I'm going to stop talking in a second, but the one thing I'm going to flip here, I'm, I've been praising and we're all praising this episode. I think it's it's very widely uh, thought of as a, as a very fine episode, a very satisfying episode for, for fans. The one thing that I, I will, and it's not, it's a, I'm hesitant to even slam this episode at all because I like it so much, but it is very self-referential and self-indulgent with regard to the show. And that is, that is the one strike I have against it where it's ultimately this exercise in fan service, a brilliant exercise in fan service, but it's not really about much, which leads to relatively, even though the stakes are kind of high in this, they feel low and the episode just kind of feels forgotten about really, really quickly uh, after it. Um, in other words, mm. I like it so much. I wish it had more reverberations either beyond the show itself and beyond its own episode in the way, say the day the doctor does, which I think is defensively like 
if not one of the, if not the yeah. best episode, one of the best episodes of Doctor Who, which really resonates with you. So I'm gonna I've talked for a while. I want to leave you guys with that. I want to hear your thoughts on what that perspective on the Doctor's wife and and hear hear what you have uh, have to say. Look, I'm really glad that you said that because I I find describing this episode a very difficult thing to do. I I don't think I'm quite as enamoured of it as as you both are. I don't think that it's a terrific episode. I wouldn't say it's an episode that I love. I would say that it's an episode I very much respect. And there's a lot here that I mm. really admire. And there's a lot here that I appreciate. Mm. And there are a lot of little thought bubbles in there that that having watched it, I've, I've gone back and really turned over in the mind and appreciated the conceptions of what's going on in there. So I really respect and admire this episode in many ways. But there were a number of points where I wasn't hating it, but neither was I enjoying it. I was sort of like, okay, this this is quite a this, this this is filler. There's lots of filler in between the conceptual joys, and I think that makes the very. Mm, what's an example uh, of the filler? Um, look, Rory and Amy being stuck in the Blake Seven corridors for half an hour. Like, yeah, agreed. <laughs> there, there, there's some nice ideas in there, uh-huh. and, and and it's good, but um, you know, Rory Arthur Deville always gives a fantastic performance. Um, so it's nice to see mm. some of those, but I, I was watching a lot of those sort of things, and and even the stuff with the Doctor building the TARDIS. I'm like, okay, I've I've got the conceptual idea of this. We'll talk more about whether that works or not later. But but it, it did sort of feel like, well, there's not a lot actually happening in this episode in terms of plot. Mm. Hmm. I wow. Okay. Uh, I have very very different opinions to all of that. So okay. let me let me take it one by one. First of all, Pete. I, Pete, I think it is. Uh, think this episode is ill served by it being in the middle of season six. Now, I love 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 season six, but it is it is a very specific story, and this doesn't necessarily fit. And it sort of feels like it should fit. And of course, we're all it, it's the river season, so we're all thinking Doctor's wife river. You know, it's a little little bit of a confusion. Uh, we we all know, I think, that it was written for, for Tennant's Doctor originally. Uh, so it was, and then it was going to be in season five, and then there wasn't quite enough room for it. So it ended up in season six. Now, I still think it works, but I think, Pete, to your point about it not having more reverberations, I think it was hard to, given all of the stuff that's about to, like the ganger stuff that's about to happen. Uh, right. You know, it just, it's, it's yeah, weirdly he's bookended in this episode, actually. Yes, that's, yeah. I didn't really want to get into that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It is unfortunate that, you know, looking back on it, you see that that's not actually Amy at all. Uh, well, she's maybe. being driven by Amy. So it's, it's technically right. Right, but wouldn't wouldn't yeah. the TARDIS have known that? Like that might be a more important thing to anyway. Doesn't know everything. Can I just agree from the opposite point of view? I think it is equally un, mm-hmm. not well served from being in series six. The reason that I feel that way is that I I season six is the season of Doctor Who across sixty years I dislike the most, and we're about to hit after oh, this wow. episode. We're about to hit yeah. after this episode the four episodes of Doctor Who that I absolutely despise and that at the time made oh, me stop watching the show for six months. So we've got to have um, you back, man. Yeah. So every, every time, yeah. every time people, I say to people, I really dislike season six. They're like, look, we get it. It's a thing. Some love it. Some hate it. That's okay. But you've got to go back and watch the doctor's wife and the God complex because they're the ones that people say, even right. if you don't like, these are very different standalones that you need to give credit to. 
So um, mm. I, I'm just mm. saying I, I agree with you. It's very out of tune with season six. Now, whether that's a positive or a negative or just a thing, I think is very interesting. But, yeah, I, I agree with the point. Yeah, interestingly, two, two of the random episodes we've been to, uh, The God Complex and The Doctor's Wife. Uh, and also Closing Time, which is sort of the uh, the other real standalone of, of season right. six. Mm. Uh, it's, it is interesting that our randomizer has has taken us here. Um, avoiding the rest of it. But yeah, just to, Dave, are you to continue the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's certainly being very, very day friendly. Um, it turns out I'm the Black Guardian but, all along. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> yeah, so reach out a screen, bring the bring a crow to stick on your head. Um, yes, no, I, I think is it filler? I mean, yeah, the the point is is definitely well taken, but also I like it's. I mean, anything is filler, really. If you if you if uh, you break it down enough, right? Yeah, yeah but uh, but I think like they, I feel like uh, the the almost people the the you know. Uncle and Auntie, and uh, you know that the, the sort of Frankensteinishness uh, is very interesting. Like I, I'm interested in these people. I'm interested in these characters. I'm interested in House, not just because he's played by Michael Sheen, uh, who, by the way, is, is wasted in in Doctor Who for just being a voice. Um, it, it, it's yeah, I'm I'm in there. I'm I'm sort of in it to win it. I'm I'm interested in the characters. I'm interested in the 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 collection of control rooms i love seeing the interior of the tardis it does it does not seem like filler to me i love i and and also i think uh, you you may remember pete from when we did mordron undead i love uh, aging up when when companions sort of suddenly rapidly age up uh, uh yeah it, that always terrifies me it's one of yeah, one of those look, childhood behind the sofa things for I, me. i'd like to get out of the way a lot of like my very like I really have a, just a few distinct slams in this episode. And again, I'm even reluctant to slam it. I'm not really, I don't feel it's, I feel like it's a really great episode, but one of the things is sort of, it's sort of inconsequentialness, which is I already talked about. But the other thing is we, we've talked about the Tardis corridors and Amy and Rory. And the, the word that came to mind as I was thinking about their predicament at the end of the episode is sidelined, but they're not really sidelined because they're on screen a lot and they're doing things. Mm. There's just no real weight to it. Yes, it's creepy. Yes, there's good horror stuff, and the music is great, and the lighting is great. All that graffiti on the side of the TARDIS, what's mm-hmm. happening to Rory. But then he just pops around the corner two seconds later, and you're kind of like, WTF was that? And then... Well, you, you, well it's, it's like, kind of... It's, it's the girl who waited from, from the opposite perspective in, right, but if in no two seconds. So you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're fooled as a viewer into thinking, maybe this is real. Maybe House has messed with time itself. And, and mm. this could have happened. But it, then it's all just, oh, it's just a mind game. And then on top of that, it's, it's shown or it's at least said that he's affecting what they can actually see. So like mm. Amy thinks the lights are off when they're not and they're being misdirected and he's basically showing them illusions, messing with their minds, which adds this layer of too much power to house. And at that point, you're like, well, wait a minute. If they're they can't even know what they're seeing, touching uh, what they're encountering, how are they able to do anything against this guy? And it's like mm. it's just it's a step too far. It's enough to have House make them run around and that he has to sort of chase them and sort of figure out what they're doing. For him to get to attach that power to him as well, 
it's it's just too much. They should just automatically lose just from the story perspective. Yeah, so, I, I, so that I, whole I, final sequence with Amy and Rory just doesn't work. And do, as much as there is good stuff in it, it's 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 a really kind of weighs down the episode a bit. Yeah, I, I had the same point as well that if House is that powerful, then you rely on the baddie or the villain doing that awful drama cliche, which is I'm going to kill you, but not yet. And and he needs to sort of be mm-hmm. doing that a lot, and and, and that 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 was a shame. Um, on the point you were making about Rory, I think coming back as a random episode, it, it does work. That's that sense of oh my goodness, as as Rory died. The problem is if you watch it in order, Rory's already died and company brought back about five times in the last year. <laughs> so it does feel, and I do remember mm-hmm. when I did watch it. One thing I did remember from when I watched it 11, 12 years ago, is that, oh, they've killed Rory again, you bastards. Okay, like, we're used to this now. <laughs> oh, my God, they killed Rory. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I feel it. <laughs> yeah, and this is definitely why we benefit on this show from watching Out of Order. Correct. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that, that whole, I mean, it is a very Moffaty thing, isn't it? With He does this, Rory does it with the impossible girl thing of, like, you had this whole other, you know, massive cosmic history that is just sort of being forgotten now you know rory you you waited for two thousand years and that's not apparently going to affect you in any way uh for for the rest of the story uh clara you were splintered throughout time uh throughout the doctor's timeline and you're just a normal person now well the, at least the two thousand year thing gets mentioned it's mentioned here too mm. right like every now and then they sort of remember it and bring something back like rory i, I honestly can't remember everything in the run but i think he remembers certain things he did, certain skills he got from from that time. So they, they tried a little bit, right? Um, you know, and again, this episode being full of callbacks um, through that one in. I love all the callbacks again, it, but again, it's just more like it, it's great for fans. It, it sort of shows it's a, an episode that's a bit self-indulgent. Um, so getting back to stuff I really like, uh, whether it's a callback or not, I think the choice of the Ood as a villain as a monster here is a really good one because fans are already familiar with the Ood, what they can do, their abilities. There's something about the the eyes, whether they're growing red or green, just works. I mean, it's just this creepy creepy thing. And because we're already familiar with their sort of telepathic brain that they carry around, that really actually helps to serve the plot a bit. Like when the doctor repairs it in one of those early scenes and you start to hear the time Lord voices again, it just reminds, Oh yeah, that's why they're here. Oh wow. Yeah. Let's get going on this. Let's, let's see the next step in the story. I, I thought the Ood thing was really, really good. And of course he, he dies. He's atomized. So boom. Yeah. Yes. You get to kill the monster. Another, another Ood he can't save. I like that. There's, there's right. that quick call back there. That's a great well, callback. Right? What do you guys think? Uh, are you guys familiar with the, the alternate intro that, that Neil Gaiman wrote? No. Uh, about uh, going to see the Beatles. No. Uh, originally, that was that was going to be where, and he revealed this during the the lockdown watch in 2020. Uh, that original the original script had uh, Amy wanting to go see, and I don't think he had Rory in it at this stage. Uh, but Amy wanted to go see the Beatles at Chase Stadium uh, huh. in in 1965 and and they actually go and like there's a lot of it happening backstage and then that's when the doctor gets the cube and they have to brush back to the tardis um i kind of like right when you're in the middle of a ticket to ride i'll bet exactly they're about to go see the biggest band in history and then they have to come come right back so and and that felt like that would be a piece of filler too far for me and 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 
perhaps a little Moffaty stretch too far to kind of, you know, pull in this other thing. I'm well, sure Gaiman was like, oh, I've always wanted the dog to go see the Beatles. That to me sounds like Gaiman was in the middle of writing a comic. Because that sounds like a perfect twist in the Doctor Who comic strip. Because you just do mm. these crazy over-the-top things. Um, I like that sensibility that he has. Like, hey, let's try everything. And the thing is, they they rolled out the red carpet for him. I mean, the, the reason this was held yeah. over because they just didn't have the budget to do everything, even part of what he wanted. And I got to say, watching this episode, you definitely feel like they went the extra mile. They took a little extra time. They paid more attention to every detail and every prop and even how they were lighting the props. And they did the Blue Peter thing, right? There was a blue contest yeah. on Blue Peter for the console. So that obviously took some time and someone to manage it and figure out. So, you and know, they, they did not disassemble. They did not disassemble tenants control room. Right. Uh, yeah. it, it just left that set for what must've been a, a year or more. Um, and just told people lies about why, why it was that that set was still up, uh, which is fantastic. And, and game didn't actually even want that. He wanted a classic series control room. Mm. um which yeah, i don't know do you, do you think do you I, exactly do you do you guys think it would have been better to see a, a old school control room the way we do in uh day of the doctor I, I think if it was done now it absolutely would be an old school console room because we know we know they've now got it yeah. and they love to wheel it out so i think it, it would mm-hmm. be um mm-hmm. i think that the reaction probably is stronger being the tenant control room because it does feel like mm-hmm. a little bit of more recent history and a, and a callback that you don't expect um, but I must admit, the, the one that right. I, I thought was going to be the season 14 control room. Season 14, 14. control room. You know, me. mean like the, the old control room, <laughs> the, the, like the, the actual, the, like... The, the secondary the, uh, control room, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Because yeah. 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 when we said, we're going to the second secondary control room, control room, I was like, yes. oh, oh my goodness, they're going to go and put together that woody thing. But no, it was it was tenants, and that that uh, that perhaps was a deliberate piece of misdirection because it did, again, mean that when I saw tenants, I was like, oh, wow, because we're all fans of television. We're all fans of television production, and the idea that they would just have tenants' console room taking up half a studio floor yeah. – um, just for one scene, just it, it seems inconceivable. So it was a big like, wow, they did it. Yep, I gotta say, yep, that's that's I, how much of a red carpet was out for Neil Gaiman. I, I liked it. I, I I think it would have been much better served by an older console room, mostly because even though I I, I might be in the minority here, I do feel like the first two console rooms in New Who in my mind, blend together a little bit. Yes, they're stylistically different, but they're both big productions. You know, the production values are similar. They're both big, vast takes on an old version, you know, an old thing from the old series. Um, So honestly, I don't, in terms of my uh, audience uh, feeling of them, they feel similar to me. You know, when I see Mm -hmm. a, a Tenant episode and a Smith episode, I'm not thinking about, how each one looks so different. But if I go back to old who or classic who, you know, my God, that's so different and it's, it invokes different feelings in me. So I would have much preferred to see an old console room though. I definitely appreciate like all the behind the scenes stuff that they just left that thing in there for like half a year or whatever, just because they had needed it for this one scene. 
it it is interesting because normally a, a new showrunner, you know, and I guess he's not a new showrunner at this stage, Moffat. Uh, he's a season in and he's a bit more confident. But normally you want to put your own stamp on it and you don't necessarily acknowledge everything the previous showrunner did. This this episode is is kind of surprisingly, you know, got a lot of RTD elements in it, right? Yeah. The Ood. The Ood, the old control room. It's almost as if uh, Moffat is saying, you know, uh, yeah, by the way, this is still the same show that you were watching a year or two ago. Right, it's there's mm. there is continuity. This control room is saved, and uh, I also love the fact that Idris has, oh, the TARDIS has been downloading control rooms from the future. Uh, it doesn't know <laughs> when to stop. Um, like, I mean, they're, they're just one of a many many hints that the Doctor is not actually running out of regenerations. Right? <laughs> if uh, if he only thought through these things, these well, revelations. Speaking of Idris, let's talk a little bit about Saran Jones that performance oh, and yes the choices she made i you know i think casting was superb like she's very quirky manic she mirrors the doctor's performance uh she's attractive but she's not too attractive um you know and honestly she's so good with her dialogue i mean i feel like even if I, i'm surprised you didn't watch this again for like 13 years or so dave because it's like i feel like her dialogue almost demands that you watch it twice because you don't really get what she's talking about the first time, and you kind of want to go back and listen to it again, like, oh, thief, I get it. And well, even though you kind of get it already, but like all the stuff with, you know, goodbye and et cetera, and all these things that only really make sense when you get to the end of the episode. Um, and the bit where she's saying, she's saying the, uh, yeah. she says the river clue. Uh, yeah. She says that backwards at the beginning. Yeah, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, she's not standing. She really is, and I, I, it is amazing to to watch the the, the uh, behind the scenes stuff, and realize that that that's not her voice at all. She's 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 northern. Uh, she was not in Coronation Street. Yeah, uh, yeah her accent. Uh, but she's totally putting on the posh accent. But it just works. It really, yeah. For me, I was like, she's the TARDIS, no question. It just, mm. and I hadn't even had an actress in mind for who might play the TARDIS as a woman. Uh, what, what did you think, Dave? I certainly think that it's a fantastic performance. I agree that she and her lines are very well written, and, and, and you're right, they are worthy and meritorious of going back and looking at them again. In counterpoint to that, I don't think that the Doctor's reaction or the Doctor's approach is well written, and mm. it does feel, particularly when the Doctor starts to go into all the, all the sexy stuff, it does feel a bit like that sort of Moffat trope of, everything has to be a relationship and everything has to be sexual and everything has to be a couple. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm not one of those people who attacks Moffat because he can't write women or he, he's, he's a misogynist. I don't think that's remotely true, so please don't think I'm going down that rabbit hole that some fans do. But he does have this trope of sexualizing things and, and I think that it's mm. a shame mm. that they, they, they had to do the relationship in that way and I think that it could have been a bit better. So her, she's great. I don't like the doctor's reaction to it. I will yeah. say, I think the lines and the exchanges that work best aren't necessarily those ones that are over-sexualized. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'd say the one that sticks with me the most, the one that I love is where they, they run out and look at the field of dead TARDISes. And he's like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? 
And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm seeing all my sisters and they're all dead and their corpses. And he's like, oh, hey, uh, sorry, no. <laughs> like, and I feel like Matt Smith is like, it's just, it's comical, but you you get the sensitivity that he's trying to convey. Yeah, for sure. But it doesn't end there. Like, honestly, that exchange just keeps delivering. And she's like, I love the way she says, you know, you're, you're going to build a TARDIS and you don't care that it's impossible. And she's not, she's not frustrated. She's not accusatory or anything she's just like that's who you are and actually if you if you think about it i I think she's actually showing admiration from why she she loves him like you know you're just gonna do this and then but he and he and he again this scene keeps delivering he goes like i don't care that it's impossible rory and amy need me and Mm -hmm. it's like yeah like and again he he underscores it like this is why he's a hero like he's Mm -hmm. gonna do the impossible and it's because people are relying on him and He's gotten them into this mess. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that to me, it scene was ten out of ten. As as for the sexy stuff, I I, w- I would say I I think it it mostly works well here. I think the problem is everywhere else in the Moffat era, right? You know, the fact that Amy has a moment in the previous season where she's attracted to the Doctor, and it just sort of, you know, it's. But but here it, it feels earned, and it feels like it's not just Moffat because it, you know I, my mind goes back to school reunion. And uh, Sarah Jane and Rose bonding over the fact that the doctor, doctor's always like touching bits of the TARDIS, and you're like, do you, hmm. do you guys want to be alone? You know, there's always been this connection. I, I like that the new show kind of went there in, in the sense of like, well, what is the Doctor's relationship with this machine anyway? Like, is is he just like the boy racer of the universe who just had to steal a hot rod? Uh, or, you know, a car that he wanted to soup up. Um, and it kind of is. I mean, first, first of all, the fact that she calls him thief, I just, I am in love with that nomenclature. The, the doctor is a thief. Like, there's no getting around it. We've been watching for 60 years a show about a man who committed a crime. Uh, like, he's, he's, a, he's an outlaw. He's an anti-hero. Uh, like, we, we should not be teaching our kids to emulate this man who stole the TARDIS. And that's so fundamental to the show. And it's lovely to just sort of point that out every now and again, right? Yes. Uh, and I guess... The Doctor's morality is a lot grayer than a lot of fans would like it to be. That's very, very true. Right? <laughs> and it's definitely a, you know, a sign of possession being nine-tenths of the, of, of the law. Uh, I guess possession is also nine-tenths of the Shadow Proclamation or whatever. Um it's you know, uh, and it's, it's so it's wonderful for her to say that. It's wonderful to kind of explore the fact that it is like the Doctor will always be closer to this machine than any creature, and you can kind of almost see a sad side of that, right? It's 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 like companions will come and go, or strays, strays as the Doctor's <laughs> course. That was just wonderful. You keep bringing home strays. I just that line. Oh, one of my favorites in all of who. Uh, and again, it changes your perspective a little bit if, if you want it to do so on, on everything that the Doctor has done. Uh, you know, the companions are clearly not the TARDIS's choice. <laughs> yeah, we well, could definitely uh, no, she- picture uh, Idris sort of leaning against the console with a hand on her hip and an eyebrow raised every time the Doctor walks yeah. into those doors with another person. Oh, please, can, <laughs> can I keep her? She's an air stewardess. She's great. <laughs> yes. Speaking of episodes where a TARDIS lands inside a TARDIS. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love the exploration of that. And, and yeah. Yeah. It's, 
does it does sexy take it too far yes but maybe it also points out the sadness of you know the doctor will always be alone with this box until the end uh until the end of the show is in the nature of the show he will abandon or lose or whatever all of his companions that's a really uh-huh. really good explanation chris except for the fact that literally in this episode we're setting up the whole river thing which is all about yeah. he's going to go get married so um i think what you said was absolutely great but completely undermined by what we know is coming and what he's foreshadowed in this episode oh yeah the the, the wife that he hasn't seen again for the last uh what five seasons yeah yeah, yeah. and oh, we'll man. probably never be in it again yeah you yeah. know the it, it, the, the doctor's wife he's a will always overshadow the wife yeah Yeah. well it was actually the tesselector right they'd never actually married married fair so speaking of performances i i gotta say (laughs) can we get a little commotion for matt smith in this one again he's great uh, all all the time like he's just he's definitely like delivers uh but in this one i feel like it's those quieter moments where he's clearly feeling something big uh like and and the one I'm I'm thinking of specifically is like when he has that rage when he finds the Time Lord cubes, and hmm. realizes they're all dead and you and sort of uh, auntie and uncle are behind him and he's just kind of like keeping it in, uh, and he's like oh nice nice Time Lord distress cube collection you have here and he's not only mad but he's also like this hope has been ripped away from him that sort of sadness and he, hmm. he, he that that despair. And it just you're just really feeling it, uh, and he's he's you know he's just the kind of there. He's like he's not crying, he's not outraged, at least not yet. And I, I just feel like from there, and like you know, from there on, he he obviously all the stuff with Idris is great. Certainly the final scene when she says goodbye, you're kind of expecting it. But I feel like some of those quieter moments, particularly that one, I thought, oh wow, like top marks. I thought that this was the last truly great Matt Smith performance because I think it, oh, I think wow. it, I think it is great here, and it reminded me of why when Matt Smith first hit as the Doctor, I thought he was up there as one of the best. Uh, that's not a view that I still hold now, having seen the back half of his year. I have him quite a long way down my list, but I did watch this and saw it. That's right. I I remember when he was fantastic when he was. Perfect, and there was there was the perfect blend, as you said, of the quiet and the serious, and the silly and the weird. And I think he did that really, really well here. I think that that balance going on, and um, particularly by the time you get to something like "Let's Kill Hitler," which kind of just finished me off for a while. Like that, the balance is completely mm. out of sync in that one, and that's what I remember of Matt Smith. But watching this back, I, mm. I've gone, no, no, he when he nailed it. He was fantastic, and this yeah. was a really pleasant reminder of that for me. Yeah, yeah, Pete. I think you're absolutely right about that. He he nails the 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 sadness of being the last of the Time Lords, and in in a way that you know Tennant Eccleston did as well in their own ways. But like this is just it's so natural the way the way the Matt Smith does sort of sullen and grumpy, which is not necessarily things that you normally associate with him as an actor, right? I mean, and I have to say, for the, for the show, it's important to notice that he does the best, possibly the best line reading in all of Doctor Who of the words, pull to open. Um, <laughs> which he's just sort of grumpily saying, oh, pull to open, that's what's on the sign on the door. I push. Um, and it just, yeah, it's, 
you know, he you think of him like madcap and spinning around and doing all the physical doctor stuff, but you don't necessarily always remember him being sort of sad and like I've lost my people and uh, or grumpy and like you know my TARDIS yeah. shouldn't tell me what to do. Which for me, uh, which for me is his best work. Yeah. What yeah, do you guys think about whether, yeah. given given that this uh, episode was originally written for for Tennant, how do you think he would have uh, tackled this material? Hmm. Very good question, Dave. What do you think? I'm not gonna throw I, my thoughts I want to say. I want to. I, I, I want to say. Yeah. I. I. My, my gut instinct is to say badly, um, which isn't mm-hmm. fair because Tennant's a very good actor. Um, would mm-hmm. he have played into the whole Doctor's wife stuff more than Smith would have, and, and taken what I disliked and really turned it up to eleven? I think probably, and I think that Smith's. Mm-hmm. Tennant does broody, and he does it well. Smith does broody in a really mm. alien way, and I think that that mm. works better than the Tennant performance would have, particularly if it had been sort of end of Tennant's era stuff, like this would have been in Tennant's last season if it had been made, and that's when he was very, very big and excitable, and I think that mm. wouldn't have been as good. It would have been different, certainly. Mm. I think yeah, it would put an interesting point. extra spin on the the Time Lord victorious side of Tennant, right? When we were talking about the the sexual sort of uh, uh, overtones earlier, I think that would have it, they would not have landed the same way with Tennant, and I think you would have probably had something that was a little more icky, frankly, in 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 that uh, sense. And so, like, I like yeah. that Smith plays with it he's playful with it and it doesn't really go further than that and you just let those funny lines land some people like them some people don't like them um so i think there's that i also think given all the stuff going on with last of the time lords and the eggleston tenant era i i I don't know it might have added more weight to it but i feel like it might have also been a distraction because i actually really like the line where he, they and it speaks to the honesty of him and his companions. Well, honesty at least on an emotional level because he tricks them later. But when he talks about how you know you want to be forgiven, right? And he's like, doesn't everyone like even though the mm. at this point that sort of time war stuff is more or less in the past? I mean, yes, they have yet to do Day and the Doctor, but End of Time was kind of a bit of a capstone on that for the RTD era. Um, it, it's here. It's just kind of a nice reminder of like who he is. But I, I I think it works here because it isn't overpowering and we're not still kind of wondering when the Time Lords are coming back because they they already have. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I don't think it would have been as good as the, what I guess I'm tr- trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Tenet. Even though I love Tenet, I think I agree with everything you said, Dave. I think he's a great actor. He's a great doctor and does his stuff really, really well. I think this script and it serves Smith better. Eccleston, however... I would love to see with this script. Mm. Agreed. Ooh, that would be very interesting. That would have been an interesting thing. So, yeah. It's a parallel uh... universe. A bubble on another bubble on another bubble. <laughs> it's not that. Think of it if it makes you feel better. So, um, but... so, so can, I, can I raise a point that I've been mulling over in my mind and I haven't reached a conclusion on? Do it. Mm-hmm. The conceptual aspect of this episode is all about how the TARDIS is more than we expect. It's a much more personality-driven. It's much more of a 
uh, an anthropomorphized thing. It's got a lot more control. And, mm-hmm. and, and it really sort of takes the TARDIS conceptually to the next level. Then the Doctor is able to just build mm-hmm. a TARDIS out of bits of scrap. And I was watching that and I'm wondering, does that reinforce the conceptual point that all you need is this spirit in a few bits of thrown together console room and you've got a TARDIS? Or does the ability to sort of Peter Cushing style just quickly wrap up a TARDIS in, in half an hour totally undermine <laughs> the idea that this is a very mythical thing? You know, is it alive? Is it grown? Is it built? Uh, well, no, you know, you can build one in half an hour if you've got a you know, couple of tools. How did that all land for you? Because I can't reach a conclusion. I, I mean, given given that it's a TARDIS junkyard, it's sort of like it's it's a bit of a Chekhov's gun moment. Like you have to do something with that TARDIS junkyard. Sure. Uh, it's it's there it's there right from the start. But yeah, I mean, it does definitely uh, add, for want of a better word, the spiritual aspect of you can't just take these pull these pieces together and and put you know slot A and not B and you know and and follow the ikea instructions for building a tardis it it won't go you know you you need something a little extra and idris has that great moment of you you know you silly idiot you have me um you know and that that's the extra special source that's needed to make it go i yeah that that kind of worked for me i liked i liked the jankiness of it i think it it might have been better served i mean it worked for me Uh, i think it might have been even better served though with a scene that was cut for budget reasons uh, or uh, anyway, what they were supposed to do is that scene that I was describing earlier, where they go out to the landscape of Tardises. Um, there was either at that point or a little earlier that Matt Smith had still didn't realize the doctor still didn't realize everything here was a Tardis, and Idris would essentially deactivate the chameleon circuits on all of them. So all the bathtubs and dryers and everything would suddenly turn into some sort of form of a Tardis capsule. Uh, I guess those sort of cylinders you see it uh, hell bent at, at one point. So I think if they had kept that moment, I actually would have loved to see that because it, it's it's one of these sort of hit home like oh wow like they we thought you thought you were screwed but yet then now they have the means to to do something moments um, might have been even more uh, just more more of a feeling of of that that this is what's going to happen how they're going to do something so. I don't know, but it was speaking of the TARDIS thing. Yeah, I think it, it works. Um, uh, you know, building a TARDIS in a few seconds. I mean, it go, if you go all the way back to Inferno, right? And this is certainly a thing of the classic series where mm-hmm. the TARDIS was more of a machine than a being. And I think this episode, yes, tries to have it both ways, or at least tries to reconcile those two views of the TARDIS. And within the confines of a you know forty eight minute script or whatever it is, I, I think it did a decent job. So yeah, uh, I didn't feel like that undermined it. And, and, and let me add, I, I certainly don't think that it undermines it. I actually don't think that it needs to have a conclusion because I think that the nature of game and script is that it sometimes just throws stuff at you and says, "Think about this," and it doesn't actually have an answer. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That. that- that does bring up one of the the billion questions that the doctor would have wanted to ask the TARDIS. It's what what the hell was going on when I was trapped on Earth and I took the console out and you threw me into a fascist parallel universe. <laughs> what was that about? 
So, Chris, <laughs> it's all I can do right now to resist that perfect segue to the four questions, but I have one more thing to say before we go. <laughs> okay. Hold, hold your segue. Hold your segue. I want to hear it. I teased it earlier. So there is one line in this. There's a lot of great lines in this, actually, that are mm-hmm. awesome. But there's one line to me that sticks out like a sore thumb, and I want to get your guys' take on it. And it is the line toward the end where it's, fear me, I've killed hundreds of Time Lords. and the doctor retorts fear me i killed all of them and Mm. it's awesome it's a great line the problem i have is it just feels like they wrote the line and they couldn't find a place for it it's like it's just said like that scene works a hundred percent just as well without it and it it's it's like they both suddenly just sort of stop the scene to stick their chests out and and pound them you know, for a second. And I, I feel like it doesn't work. And honestly, to me, this should have been in my mind, a kill your darlings moment. Like it's really, really good, but it's like, no, save that for something else because it, it, it just sort of stops the scene. You're clearly just saying the line to say the line. My big problem with it is that you're right in in isolation. I see why it's a cool line, but the moment you think even a little bit about it, it's the doctor kind of playing one upmanship on the fact that he's a genocidal mass murderer. And that's not, yes. that's not a cool uh-huh. thing. <laughs> yes. I'm, I am a thief and I would like to take the billions of children I've killed into consideration. Um, yeah, it, it is. It, it's another one of those things of like, you know, not only was the doctor a criminal in the classic series. Now, now we've really upped his criminality. Uh, but of course it's all, it's all good now. Well, we're all he's good. All good no, it, he's all good. No, no children died. Uh, it was bubble, bubble universe. Uh, and by the way, speaking of connections with Day of the Doctor, um, doesn't it seem like the moment is a is a bit Idris ish? Like maybe maybe Moffat may have uh, you know taken taken a concept or two from from Idris uh, creating the moment. They're sort of seeing forward and backwards at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that, right? It suddenly seems a little less original once you watch this. Yeah, uh, but you know, no, great cool. artists steal, hey, even from themselves. <laughs> well, or from their their new buddies, Neil Gaiman. As, as Terence Dix always used to say, all you need is a good idea; it doesn't have to be yours. <laughs> perfect, nice. perfect. With that, I will now do no segue whatsoever to our, oh, next, our questions. <laughs> they are the four questions to Doomsday. First question: Why did the randomizer take us here, Chris? What do you think? Well, you, you, you did it. You did it, sir. You you stood at the controls of our randomizer and you said, "Give us a TARDIS heavy episode," and it does not get TARDIS heavier, as I was saying. But it, conceptually speaking, as well as physical location, um, we had that that uh, discussion over the TARDIS interior invasion of time. It is specifically, if you go and watch uh, the Doctor Who Confidential, like they 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 pull that they have Neil Gaiman talking about his disappointment mm-hmm. at the invasion of time right. and how he really wanted to see more more TARDIS-y, TARDIS interior. Uh, not that this necessarily follows that, but of course he's got an excuse that House isn't going to want to let them roam and go find the wardrobe or the zero room or whatever. Um, you definitely you know, get the sense he's more Davison-era TARDIS yeah. than either Baker or even later Smith, right? Because then they did, after this, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, which is kind of a totally yep. different take. But if you look at 
you know, game and Stardust here. It's got corridors and they're all kind of similar yeah. and they got roundels and love that's the very Castro Valva. It's it's very Legopolis Castro Valva. The whole thing is Legopolis Castro Valva, very, very much. Yep. Yeah, yeah, with the, with the TARDIS appearing inside the TARDIS. So just yeah. a, a thing I will never not enjoy about a Doctor Who episode when a TARDIS lands inside a TARDIS. Um, and, the, and the connection, the ultimate connection with the randomizers drawing of the swimming pool. Uh, we, I, we're, we're so much closer to a, to a TARDIS swimming pool bingo. Uh, you know, all we need now is, what, 11th hour? Uh, and uh, there, there are a few other references. Uh, Journey to the Center of TARDIS, obviously. Um you know, I gotta say, we'll get there when we get there. Oh, yeah. Why was Mel so obsessed with the swimming pool in Paradise Towers if there was one in the, in the TARDIS? It's like you know, uh, maybe it's just a better one, or maybe that was on the. It was on. You know, there's a crack in it. There, you know, hadn't been hadn't been repaired since K nine had had a problem with it. I don't know. Yes, the the last Doctor dropped his carrot juice in there, and it just looked too too right, unappealing. A little, um, little digression there. So my my view on the randomizer here. There's obviously, yes, I, it's totally listening to me now. I'm in total command of the randomizer, or at least in tune with it. But <laughs> it's um, taking you where you need to go. There's a great line. There's so, again, I, I alluded to many great lines earlier. One of them is Amy's line where she says, you know, uh, well, Rory says to him, he's a time lord. And she goes, it's just what they're called. It doesn't mean he actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> awesome line. It's actually yeah. a perfect line in my view. Uh, especially if you look at Invasion of Time, right? Because mm. the Time Lords are so feckless, hapless, inept. Uh, they seem to be like they're kind of in permanent disarray whenever their you know their society is plucked out a little bit. And you know the Doctor's always flying by the seat of his pants. So it's it's to me that this is sort of the big uh, encapsulation of that because also hundreds of Time Lords have been killed by this house person. <laughs> And either they were all killed during the Time Lord, or no one noticed. <laughs> people just during the Time War, yeah, not coming back. So, um, yeah, it's it's just uh, getting that you know exclamation point on Time Lord ineptitude, uh, including the Doctor to some extent. So that's that's my take. It it certainly gives you extra sympathy for the Time Lords, which are, of which I had none after right. the invasion of time. But That's if right. so many of them have been butchered in this Frankenstein-like fashion, then and, and you hear their distress cries yeah. uh, in in the cubes, then yeah, you're like, oh, okay, oh, uh, maybe maybe this is why the Time Lords were so much about don't interfere, don't you know? Let, let's just stick to our home planet and talk about pointless experiments. Um, you know, while while putting on our different colored robes, the laser ceremony. Robes, robes feature <laughs> a lot in Time Lord stories, uh, and so much that you feel like evil people want to wear robes. No, I'm not. I can like segues are all out, man. Because oh, I felt the strain. Yeah, I, I broke it. In fact, because the next question is: Do you want, do you want, do you want me to answer that question first? I'd succeed. Oh, which? The, the randomizer, the randomizer one. Oh yeah, if, if, if oh, you've sorry. got connections, yeah, yeah, yeah. bring it. No, absolutely. What? What? Why did the randomizer bring us? Well, I'm, I'm just going to no. I'm going to take a very personal reason for why the randomizer would bring me here, and I intimated it to you earlier on that this is an era of the show that I don't like. Now, I don't like not liking an era of the show. I don't take joy from the fact that mm. this era of the show doesn't work for me. And people have, as I said, repeatedly said 
go back and give it a second chance, particularly the Doctor's Wife, the God Complex. And I've always had it on the to-do list. I need to go back and do that, but there's always other Doctor Who to watch. There's Doctor Who that I'm more excited to watch. So the randomizers forced me to do it, and I'm phenomenally glad that it did because I'm not saying that I'm now completely converted. I'm not saying I now love this era, um, but I have respected and enjoyed aspects of this episode. I've been reminded about some of the things I don't like. I find... Amy, a very toxic companion, and I was reminded of that in this episode. Um, so it did reinforce something, but I'd like to I probably wouldn't have come back and enjoyed this as much as I did had the randomizer not forced me to. Nice. Well, huzzah for the randomizer. I, I love it. Any any time this show and the, and this randomizer can result in more more people liking more of Doctor Who, I think that that's a result. Absolutely. Uh, so. Thank you, thank you for sharing that, Dave. I, I'm so glad that, we that, could, uh, that uh, you find Amy to be a toxic companion. Now that mm. sounds a bit like an evil plot. But before we do that, <laughs> I think we need to consider what if the evil plot had succeeded. All right. So it, it, this question presumes that so if, if House had been a bit more on the ball and perhaps not let a TARDIS materialize within a TARDIS uh, with mm. the TARDIS spirit of the TARDIS on board the TARDIS that's materializing inside the TARDIS. If House had not been distracted and if it had actually been able to do that, then here's my thought. We've got two amazing new spin-off series uh, shows. Uh, one starring Amy and Rory trying to rein in House as he flies around our universe with malevolent glee and just kind of living for drama all over the place, killing off any Time Lords or in the absence of Time Lords, killing off whatever he can find, uh, which sounds like a great spin-off. And also another with the Doctor and uh, Sexy, as I'm sure she'd be re- renamed uh, in this spin-off, mm. uh, visiting all of space and time and, and bickering endlessly. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that's, that's better than what we got in the, the later seasons and, it does uh, does produce some some problems and some plot holes, and we haven't solved the whole Gallifrey thing. And uh, Day of the Doctor would certainly be substantially different. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I think that's what we get if, if the evil plot succeeds. Doesn't necessarily kill anyone. I mean, unless you take it at the point where he's like sucking the oxygen out of the room or whatever. Right. But he doesn't seem to want to kill them. Like he's he's playing with them for sport. So well until. Yeah. Until they take down the shield, and I guess you would have yeah. to assume they never get that far if the evil plot succeeded. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but up until that point, he's playing cat and mouse. Yeah, and he seems entertained. Um, I think there's a version of the yeah. evil plot succeeding where the Doctor and Amy and Rory are just body parts on a planet. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Wow. What, what a dark way to leave the show. Not only the... You know, we've had the first companions to die. How about the first companions to be dismembered? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it would be interesting. And yeah. And I guess if you don't like Amy, uh, a result. <laughs> well, it's interesting to note that the original, uh, I'm not sure what point it was, if it was early, one of Gaiman's early drafts or something they were just talking about because of what ended up happening in Series 7. But they wanted to bring back the great intelligence, and House yes. was going to be the great intelligence, and that was going right. to kick off that whole arc. Uh, for whatever you know, because of the way the BBC was back when 
things were scripts were done back then. They didn't really have the rights. They had to secure them. They mm-hmm. didn't do it. So House ended up being this one-off evil thing, which works really well. And Michael Sheen's great. Um, but again, it, it speaks to sort of the inconsequentialness of the episode. I think, it, you know, maybe I would have felt differently about some of the reverberations had they they gone with the great intelligence. Um so I, I like that evil plot succeeding if it gets out and you have a bit of a, almost like a mini season where it's in charge of the TARDIS. And this is something, mm. they, you know, you could see almost the novels or even Big Finish doing for a bit, it, like a, a small box set where it's like evil TARDIS and, you know, uh, patchwork people doing bad things. It's almost like the evil version of of the doctor. Like a, it's almost like the master, but whatever. Um that could kind of work. The problem is then it's like, who could you have the doc? Like, is everyone else is, a, is the doctor, Amy and Rory dead? Is there a version of this where they could survive? And then there's an alternate series six, which actually is really, really cool. Um, I wouldn't mind that evil plot succeeding if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've never had that right now. And that's definitely something other shows have done. Like red dwarf did it for many seasons. They were tracking you know, Red Dwarf itself, right? Yeah. Uh, you you could definitely life. have that. You could definitely have a whole season where the Doctor is pursuing the TARDIS that has been stolen from the thief. And, and I definitely got almost Arc of Infinity vibes from House towards the end in that whilst House, like Omega, has done evil things to get out and to escape, once House is in charge of a TARDIS and back in the main universe – is it going to do evilly things or is it just going to be very happy it can now do that and wander the universe just checking stuff out? I I, I don't yeah, know. I like that. Well, I like that bit. Like That's really interesting. I didn't think of that until you just said it, but I love that idea in Arc of Infinity. And again, for the podcast, we'll get there when we get there, but it seems that once he's been freed and he can actually interact and sort of enjoy things again, you start to feel like the evil was a symptom of his isolation and that he might be rehabilitatable, right? They don't really get a sense of that here. You never have a moment where House is like, huh, unless you count him actually letting Amy and Rory run around and entertain him. Of course, he does evil things to them, so probably not. But that could have been a way, uh, a bit of a through line for something that would have gone beyond just this episode. I love that, Dave. Yeah, and Mm. certainly there wasn't that I picked up any sense of now that house is free, it's next um, item on its evil plan is to go and oppress this people or go and destroy this thing. We we don't actually know what house wanted to do once it got free. And it may have been perfectly content to just be free. Yeah. And, and you could argue uh, that maybe (laughs) look at this from another perspective, the evil plot did succeed. The evil plot was the spirit of the TARDIS killing this interloper, (laughs) just annihilating house. And maybe house was the only one of his kind. And it's actually a genocide. Wow. Uh, And Idris stone cold killer. Wow. I like that. No one tell the shadow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on to uh, the third oh, Pete, question. Pete, we, we got a segue. We got a segue to the third question. Do we? Which which is, if if House had been the great intelligence, then there would have been no need for anyone to jump into the Doctor's timeline. And we would not be asking, <laughs> where is the Clara Splinter? As exactly. everyone knows, yeah. Clara Oswald splintered in time at the end of the name of the Doctor throughout the Doctor's timeline. She is somewhere in every single story of Doctor Who doing something 
And we like to figure that out, even though she's not on screen in most of them. So where mm-hmm. is the Clara splinter here? This is a tough one because there aren't that many spots where she could fill. I th- Though then so, again, uh, I think she a lot the of the times we. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not bad. Interesting. Yeah, because we don't get any. Uh, we, we think that that's the doctor locking them in for their own safety. Right. Um, but it's not. It's never actually specified. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I had a I had a, a a different take, which is that she's actually doing this one for herself. Uh, she's she's in the TARDIS junkyard, uh, learning how these machines work. For you know, with with foreknowledge of the fact that she and me are going to go steal one at the end of Hellbent, um, and oh. she needs a little bit a little bit of TARDIS practice, and uh, maybe you know, having one of her previous splinters be a TARDIS expert. Uh, we'll we'll help her there. So she, yeah, she the impossible girl's just taking this one for herself for her own timeline. Not you know, bad. She deserves a vacation. Not bad. I'm gonna totally admit I completely punted this one because <laughs> this most of this episode occurs in another universe, and that's totally okay for the impossible. Even the impossible girl can't get through leave space time. So maybe, maybe she's out. maybe she's the alternate Rory. Uh, oh. she actually just ages so much. She actually does age through 2000 years and, uh, ends up looking like Rory. And that would actually explain why his hands look so young. Oh yeah. You just read that on a summary somewhere, right? You didn't actually <laughs> notice the hand. Did you? I, I read that. And then I, I went back and I looked yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, you, you know, it's now you, now I can't unsee it. Yeah. Now you can't say, yeah, I, I didn't notice it all. And now it's, yeah, it's forever. I'm always going to be looking at the hands. Oh, those are young hands. Thanks, Doctor <laughs> Who fans. Um, all right. Uh, we have to go now, guys. We have to go to the fourth question. The final question. The only question that matters for the Doctor's wife, which is what did we think of this episode? The Pulte Open rating system, of course, has five ratings. They are the Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. The Dalek, which is for a good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which is for a not-so-good episode. But at least they tried something, or at least we learned something. The Ogron, which is just for a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. And then there's the rarely used fixed point in time where it is an episode we simply cannot rate for usually reasons of nostalgia, but for reasons. <laughs> because reasons. So yes, what do we the, think? The because reasons rating. Uh, well, I, 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 it's probably no surprise to either of you guys that, that this is a full-on Viscount banger for me. Um, in, in fact, it is, uh, it's a Viscount banger that maybe is a... Frankenstein's monster of other Viscount bangers that it has lured to its own asteroid and in a bubble nice. universe uh, and has stuck them together. And uh, the, there's a box somewhere, somewhere with lots of Viscounts uh, in it. And uh, yeah, this, this, is, this is a solid Stone Cold classic to me. It was definitely improved by this viewing. 
uh, I found I found I'd completely forgotten about the cold open. I'd forgotten there was a moment with it that Idris was an actual person uh, who whose yeah. mind gets vaporized. Like that's that's another one of these super dark Gaiman things, and it really is like it, to me. This is the only Neil Gaiman episode of Doctor Who and Nightmares of Silver. Like I, I, I always had a problem with that because of the way that it was Moffat insists on squashing it from from two episodes and down into one. Uh, and to me, that that was an absolute disservice, and probably made Neil Gaiman never want to write an episode of Doctor Who again after that experience. Um, but but you know, this is it, and it's so it manages to be so Gaimanish with like the the costumes and everything that feel feels very very Gaiman like, um, mm. and uh, and at once very very respectful to to Doctor Who. Uh, canon and and puts a wonderful new twist on it, perhaps in the way only a newcomer to the show can. Nice. So I'll give my rating, and then Dave, you can have the final word. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said, but honestly, it's for reasons I said almost at the outset that because this episode is just so self-referential, and it doesn't really go far, not just self-referential to the episode, but to Doctor Who itself. And it's brilliant. It's great fan service. I laughed out loud. The emotions were, you know, I was in tears at the end when he's saying goodbye to the TARDIS. All of that was outstanding. Um, But ultimately, it's not really about anything other than Doctor Who. And don't get me wrong. I love me Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) We have a whole podcast around loving Doctor Who. But uh, I need more for it to be a Viscount banger. That said, this is a, this, Mm. I would say it's a Dalek emperor. I mean, uh, it's, it's so good. It feels great. I loved revisiting it. I've done it a couple times since it was first broadcast. I always have a great time. I sat down with my whole family this time. So both of my kids and my wife, we all really liked it. Uh, but we all sort of came to the same conclusion. That was really, really good. Um, not necessarily one of the best ever. Um, so that's my review. It's a it's a Dalek, uh, one of the best Daleks ever. But uh, it's a Dalek. How about you, uh, Dave? What's your final word on this? Look, I hope you don't think I'm cheating or just um, indulging myself when I do this. But I'm going to pull the rarely used fixed point in time on this one because oh. because I do think that this is a very difficult episode to rate. I think that as an intellectual exercise. It is phenomenally interesting and thought-provoking. As a piece of entertainment, I wasn't all that entertained through large parts of it. So how do I judge it, therefore? And and, and literally, as I said, literally Gaiman takes us off into a little pocket universe and kind of conceptually plays around with the show, and then we come back in. And it, it feels like, as somebody who really grew up in the wilderness years, it feels like one of those standalone fan-written stories where you just go, look, this isn't part of continuity. <laughs> I'm just going to go and play with this thing and see what you right. all think. And, and look, if I was rating Gaiman's Day of the Dead episode of Babylon 5, I would say exactly the same thing and give it exactly the same rating. He's he's very good at coming in, hmm. playing around with a thing off to the side and then handing it back with you going, wow, what was that all about? So, look, I think if ever there was an episode that deserved a fixed point in time, I think it's The Doctor's Wife. That is Interesting. a great, great take. I love yeah. that using the fixed point in time in an unexpected way too because we usually think of it as something, I think, that... You know, the it's not a great episode. We can't really defend it, but because we have nostalgic reasons, we we we'd like to give it some kind of rating for that. But 
I love that you're using it in a different way that this is, you know, yeah. it's really can't be evaluated in the same way as other episodes, which I, I think you're very right. Uh, uh, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of almost not Dr. Who. And then what you said, there really it's, resonated it's very, about the, the, yeah. the, it feeling like a short story or something where someone might've written for Dr. Who magazine back in the wilderness. Yeah. It does. It does. It yeah. absolutely does. It's very, very standalone, very, very, very Doctor Who annual. Uh, I definitely yeah. agree with you on that. Um, but yeah, wow. doesn't for me doesn't suffer. But yes, Dave, thank you that that you will forever be the first pull to open guest <laughs> to use a fixed point in time in in your review. Thank you for that. Yeah, and uh, I I love sort of I love the emergent behavior of, of using it in a slightly different way. Yeah, we we definitely live for that stuff. Given how our rating system <laughs> emerged on the fly in itself, I basically invented to the fixed point of time as a rating because I could not do it to Destiny of the Daleks. Uh, I could not say could not say that was bad. That was where I jumped on. Uh, so yeah, it was just too too close to my heart. But I love this use of the rating too. Thank you for that. All right, folks. God, it is time for us to jettison some rooms and leave this pocket universe with the Doctor's wife and figure out where we're going next which means it's time to activate the randomizer. The randomizer, yes. of course, constitutes two parts. I have the one uh, one of the parts in front of me right now, the pull to open codex. Uh, and there is another part. Oh, sorry, I should explain what the codex is. The codex <laughs> is a complete list of all the Doctor Who adventures that have been broadcast on television. Every single story. And to figure yes. out which one we're going to, we have to introduce the random element. Chris, what is that? And the random elements to that we add to the spreadsheet that is bigger on the inside, called the Codex, uh, is called random.org, also known as the Executor. Uh, <laughs> and random.org will give us a random number based not on algorithmic randomness, which is rubbish, but on atmospheric noise on atoms bouncing around the atmosphere whether or not that atmosphere is here or in a pocket universe uh reaching absolute zero in a pocket universe we'd never mentioned that aspect did we um talk about a cold take anyway uh it, atmospheric noise is what random.org uses and uh dave you i believe you graciously agreed to stand at the controls of random.org for us i have it open yes um fantastic so so pete will give you the number uh, so obviously the the number we need is between one and Pete. What are we down to? How many how many stories are left in the codex? That would be two hundred and twenty two. Wow, two hundred and twenty two. That's, That's one for the Australian right. listeners. So. Uh, <laughs> thank you thank you for translating there, there, there was a cricket commentator in australia who pronounced his twos very very well so so australians if you ever say to australia australians two for 22 they know exactly what you mean so that's awesome i love it i love it i i may even have heard that cricket commentator in, in my dad's interminable watching cricket uh in my childhood so it sounds very familiar um all right, so so before we find the random number between one and two hundred and twenty-two, we like to issue challenges to the randomizer, and we know the randomizer will just take us to wherever we need to go anyway. But we like to pretend we like we like the illusion of control, uh, as the doctor does. And um, yeah, so so Pete, do you have any uh, requests for DJ Randomizer? 
You know, I I I like that we came to a Smith episode. I, I'm about to say I'm I'm feeling good about it, and we haven't done a ton of Smith to be honest. It's it's still one of the doctors we mm. we've probably done the fewest episodes of. So like, let's give us some more Smith, more Matt Smith, please. Do do we do we want to venture into into Dave's rage quitting zone? Uh, in in season six, that might be that might be the next way to go. Um, yeah, we did it. we did we were we were concerned at the increasing number of Nazi references uh, the randomizer was throwing up, and that that might take us to let's kill Hitler. Mm. Um, which, by the way, I think I had a much better experience of that that side of season six uh, than Dave did. Um, well, okay, I I'm not going to ask for that. Um, I. Uh, I'm not really on a good track record with with the randomizer. Like I, you know, it, yeah. it seems to be listening to you, not to me. I've asked for like Trouton episodes. It hasn't thrown up one of those. Um, and uh, I asked for a really terrible, awful episode, Doctor Who, last time, just to be oppositionally defiant, and it, and it gave us this. So th- that does seem to be the way that we want to go here. Uh, take us to, take us to a Doctor Who story that is probably too long for what it contains. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I, take I it, take it. You did yeah, Dave, Dave complained about padding. Show us some <laughs> real padding. Show us Dave. some sort of eight episode, six, seven episode thing that just doesn't deserve to be that long. Dave, you got a challenge for the randomizer? Uh, I think after an extremely intellectual exercise, take us to a story that is completely non-intellectual and is just incredibly fun but means absolutely nothing nice uh, <laughs> sometimes. I love it wow I wonder if it can fulfill all of our requests um, not not really not, not a lot of padding in Matt Smith mm, uh, sorry whether or not you agree with the padding yeah well, they'll always take us where we need to go so guys oh sorry Dave Got your hand on the button? <laughs> I have, yes. I'll give you a countdown, all right? All right, here we go. Need a number between 1 and 222 in 4, 3, 2, 1. 210. Ooh, we're <gasps> Ooh. really late. Wow, it's got to be Whitaker, oh, right? Oh, it's Whitaker, yes. It's the Saranga conundrum. Interesting. Yeah, well, okay. Not certainly, Smith. <laughs> not Smith. Certainly didn't mean a lot, um, <laughs> as, I, as I recall. Um, yeah, and and padding is there. They, there might be some padding in this one. So I, f- I feel like the randomizer may have split the difference. You know, I think it might have heard my earlier comment about the Ood being a good monster and it wanted <laughs> to give us some. Wanted to flip that, so mm. that might be what this was all about. Uh, but also, I think that Dave's recent uh, examination of Whitaker may be uh, influencing oh, yeah. here. The yeah, well, Not Rob did read yeah, this one, so uh, cold take. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, if you agree with his reassessment. Yeah, we're going to have to go back and listen to the Doctor Who show, which you should also do, dear listeners. Absolutely, and, uh, head on yeah. over to well, you're in a podcast app because you're listening to us, but search in that podcast app for the Doctor Who show. Give it a follow, Dave. It's been fantastic to have you here. Uh, hope you can come back again. Maybe uh, Rob could come next time. I don't know. We could keep it going. 
Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening, listener. This is a podcast. It's called Pull to Open. And what do you do with podcasts? Of course, the one you just subscribed to, the uh, the Doctor Who show. You could subscribe to this one too. It's called Pull to Open. So please subscribe. Subscribe to us on whatever platform you have. Uh, go ahead and check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash pull to open. Follow us on all the socials, TikTok, pull to open, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, pull to open 63. Thank you very much, Martin West, for your music. It's rocking. Uh, and leave a review if you can. All right. Thank you again to Dave Kitchen for joining us in the Doctor Who show. We will see you next time for the Saranga Conundrum. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Goodbye. <laughs>